Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right, let's get going. All right, Genesis, Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 through 43. This is a lot of verses that we're going to be covering today, and we're going to be looking at Jacob And you remember where we left off last time. Basically, where we were at was Jacob and his favorite wife, Rachel, and then Rachel's (laughs) older sister, Leah, and then the boys that start being born to the family. And you had Bilhah thrown in there and Zilpah thrown in there. And so it ends up with 11 boys and one girl by the time the score is tallied at the end. And the last one that was born was the son of his favorite wife. Rachel, his favorite wife, finally was able to give birth to a boy, and that's Joseph. And Joseph is going to figure prominently in the stories for the rest of the book of Genesis, primarily. But here we're looking at, finally, his favorite wife gives birth to a son, and then picking up right where that is, which is basically verse 25. Verse 25 says this, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my country. Send me away, that I may go to my own place and my own country, to my country. You remember that Laban, Laban is Rachel's dad, Leah's dad. So this is his father-in-law. This is Jacob's father-in-law. And you can tell by the wording there that Jacob, it sounds more like he's asking for permission than demanding. He has a right to demand. He's been there now 14 years. Hmm. And you remember the reason that he's been there for 14 years was because he was tricked by this guy. You remember that when he originally arrived, he meets Rachel like as soon as he arrived. As soon as he rolls into town, he pulls up to the... uh, to the well to fill up his camel. No, he didn't have a camel. Uh, He pulls up to the well, and he meets Rachel and falls in love, basically, at first sight. And then he ends up staying for about a month, and Laban says, hey, you're staying with me. You've been here for about a month. Should you be working for me for free? Name your wages. What can I give you if you're going to be staying on with us? And you remember he said, wow, I'm really in love with your daughter, Rachel. And uh, I'd be willing to work seven years to be able to marry Rachel. And you'll remember that we we did the math, and that was a pretty good deal for Laban. Laban probably recognized it as well, but he ends up giving this weird answer to him. Well, I guess it's better that she marry you than somebody else, (laughs) as if he's not even really interested in the deal. But he made out like a bandit, but not only that, you'll remember how it turned out. Wedding night comes, and whether it's drunkenness, whether it's in the dark, something, but he ends up waking up the next morning. He's He's not with Rachel. He's with the older sister, Leah. And you remember he was upset, goes to Laban. Laban seems to like kind of shrug it off. And they end up working out another deal for another seven years for him to marry the woman he wanted to marry in the first place. So here we are 14 years into it that he's been there. And he says, you know what? I've satisfied my seven years. I've satisfied the second seven years. I've completed my obligation. I want to go home. It's time for me to go back. And you'll remember, turn to Genesis chapter 28, two chapters ago. Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. Somebody mind reading that there? Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Who's, who's the speaker in that verse? 
God is the speaker. Exactly right. To whom is God speaking? God is speaking to Jacob. So over in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, before Jacob even met Rachel, Mm -hmm. God was making a promise. I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to bring you back. 14 years later now, he says, I want to go back. He's still remembering that God promised that, but he's also probably still thinking about home. Mm -hmm. Right? He's probably still thinking about home. I've got up on the board, you can see here, it's basically application tips from today's lesson. All right, I don't normally do that, but we're going to do it today. So application tips from today's lesson. This one, uh, Number one, I can say, uh, don't forget from where you've come. All right? <laughs> and if you think about it in our own lives, from where we've come, that largely shaped who we are today. Mm-hmm. We've got familiarity. We've got some safety, some safe feelings, some comfort feelings. Uh, I've got over there corned beef hash. Corned beef hash is something that most people nowadays kind of turn their nose up or look down upon. But that's comfort food for me because when I grew up, that was the food, you know. That, yeah, it's good. It's terrible for me. I kept the label. You can see the label over there. If you don't believe how terrible it is, you can see the salt content and the fat content. It's terrible for me. But I tell you what, that's a comfort food, and it comes from the way I was raised. And I brought some in if you guys want samples. <laughs> but, <laughs> But other things about where we've come from, there's security in that. There's a, an allegiance sometimes that goes with that. There's a loyalty that goes with from where we've come. Also, maybe a sense of obligation. You know, maybe you're the first Christian in your family. And you're probably, you know, if, if that's your situation, you're probably feeling like, that's my mission field. My family is my mission field. Uh, sometimes it might be a, a sense of belonging where uh, elsewhere in the world you might not have that. You know, where you might have a sense of belonging there at home, uh, cultural or a, uh, some traditions that you've got in your family that you just can't replicate somewhere else. Also, and now making it a little bit more of a spiritual application, you've got this heritage as well with promises and inheritance that you would still look forward to. Surely those would apply in the physical sense. We look forward to an inheritance maybe if your parents have saved up for you and, and have told you, okay, when I die, you're going to get these things, you know, that kind of thing. But in, in a spiritual sense, that's also what we're looking at here. Because God has made promises to his grandfather Abraham. God has made promises to Isaac. And now he's made these same promises that have been transferred down to Jacob. And the promises are in you and in your seed, the whole earth is going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. All right? So there's promises there. There's inheritance there in a spiritual sense that we also can find a likening to in our lives as well. God has made promises that when we live for him, he's going to take care of us. He's going to bless us. And that's something that can be passed down to our kids as a legacy. Mm-hmm. All right. So when I put up there, don't forget from where you've come, it has all of that in mind. Verse 26, and Jacob says to Laban, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for, you know, my service, which I have done for you. The same Hebrew word shows up three times in that verse, basically service and served and done. And the word has to do with the work. He's paid in full is what he's saying. He says, I've satisfied my debt to you. It's paid in full. But in a sense, he's still also asking permission. The reason he's still got this language, it sounds like he's asking for permission is because he's been kind of a hired servant of sorts during this duration, this 14 years. In fact, the language is much the same as the language where a servant would seek their own freedom uh, that you would find in 1 Samuel 30, verse 29, in 1 Kings eleven twenty-one, and then also having to do with the rules of a servant selling himself into service for somebody else in uh, chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, and verse 18. And so it carries with it this idea that he's been a servant, He satisfied his debt. He's looking to be released. All right. So in a sense, Laban does, though, have some claims because Laban's daughters are his wives. And now Laban's daughters have had children, which are his grandchildren. 
So Laban's in a spot where if I let this guy go, I'm going to be missing out on the, the labor that I'm beginning out of this guy. And yeah, he's been working for me for 14 years, and it would have been satisfactory if he had just been like a mediocre worker, but he's actually been a really good worker. In fact, he's been so good that I can tell God has blessed me through him. And if I let him go, I'm going to be missing out on that. And if I let him go, I'm going to be missing out on my girls now, my children, and I'm going to be missing out on my grandchildren. So Laban, Jacob's probably expecting Laban's going to drive a hard bargain and not wanting him to go, right? Verse 27 you can kind of hear it in Laban's voice a little bit. Verse 27, And Laban said to him, Please stay. <laughs> Please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes. Okay, I'm thinking you haven't. <laughs> if I'm Jacob, I'm thinking you haven't. Uh, but anyway, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience. At least that's what my translation says. It says, Learn by experience that the Lord, that's Yahweh, that's Yodhevah or Jehovah, that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. So Laban clearly puts it out there that he recognizes that because of my association with you, God has made my life better. And that should be the way it works with us as well. If we have God in our lives, people should be able to recognize that because of their association with us, their lives are enhanced. All right. That's pretty cool that Laban, this guy, this scoundrel ends up saying and using words like that. However, you do see something there. This is actually the third time in the book of Genesis so far that we've found an outside party is admitting that they are the recipients of benefits by being associated with a person who's close to God. We saw that with Abraham. You remember Abimelech came to Abraham and he's like, you know what, I see that God's doing great things in you and I've benefited by my association with you. We saw that with Isaac. Another Abimelech comes to Isaac and says much the same thing. And now we see Laban saying much the same thing here to Jacob. And this is kind of an outgrowth of the original promise that was given to Abraham. In you, all the nation will be blessed. We're starting to see that. And then that was passed on to Isaac. In you, all the nations will be blessed. And that was passed on to Jacob. In you and your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And we're seeing the nations. We're seeing the outsiders getting blessed because of their association with the people of God. We should be the people of God. That people say, wow, I'm blessed because of my association with you. If they're not being blessed because of their association with us, maybe that should be a flag. All right? Maybe just, uh, you know, self-examination or something we should be doing. Uh, we also see here, in, like I said, in my version, it says here, I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Any other versions? Divination. Because there, there we go. There's a divination over there. So that's probably NIV or ESV there. Divination. What is divination? I'm going to guess receiving something divine. Okay, receiving something divine. It's a word that can be translated as learning by experience. It can be a word that can be translated as diligently observing. It can be a word that can be translated as divining or discerning something. But divination can also be a word that is used to describe sorcery or witchcraft or dabbling in the occult. And so your translation committees aren't really sure which way to go with this. So they try to read for the context. And so some of your translations will actually give you the flavor of, like New King James has here, I've learned by experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas NIV and ESV say, I've learned by practicing the occult. Mm -hmm. It's not really clear what's going on in Laban and how he discerned what he discerned. If it is occultic practices, let me make something clear here. The Bible does not support that. <laughs> mm -hmm. The Bible would say flee from that kind of stuff. Right. 
All right. So participating in the occult is not appropriate. So if you're looking to the Bible to give you guidance in the way to live and you're thinking about going to the fortune teller this weekend, all right, let me be real clear. Don't go to the fortune teller this weekend. <laughs> Don't use the Ouija board. Oh, there's a story I have there about that, but I can save it for another day. <laughs> all right. Don't be and you too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not stuff to be messed with. All right. And part of the reason for it is because when you dabble in the occult, what you're doing is you're it's as if you are looking at the world as being controlled by evil. All right. As opposed to God's sovereignty. So if you're looking at the world as being controlled by evil and you want to tap into some power and hopefully give you some premonition of the future and maybe even control your destiny a little bit, you're asking for evil to do that for you. If you're doing that, you're not asking God to do that for you. And God would say, no, 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 no. There's no other gods besides me. If you want direction for the future, you come to me. If you want to hear what I would have to say about the future, look at my word. God would make it very clear that he says, you make your choice. I have what you need. I can supply your needs, and I can give you the information that you need. I'm not going to give you everything you want, but I am going to give you what you need. But you need to make a choice. It's either me or it's these other you know, demonic influences that you might be seeking by dabbling in the occult. So making it very clear, if Laban is dabbling in the occult, that would not be condoned by the Bible. But the interesting thing is, he does come to the right conclusion somehow. And I will say this. I have heard of people that have gone and dabbled in the occult who have gotten information that you go, wow, I don't know how you did that if not for some supernatural uh, exposure to uh, the future or knowledge or something like that. So it's not to say those things aren't out there. It's, it's about the original source of where it's coming from. Do you really want that in your life? No, I would say no. I would say no. All right. So he does get information, and it is accurate. He is blessed by God. Jacob is blessed by God, and Laban does recognize at least that much. All right. So spells and witchcraft and fortune-telling, yeah, stay away from it. <laughs> Kenneth Matthew says this regarding Laban and his uh, possibly uh, dabbling in the cult. It says, one must hear everything that this huckster Laban says cautiously, for we do not know whether or not this is a fabrication. And uh, I guess if we wouldn't put it past Laban, knowing what we know about him. He might be making that up, but it does still come to the right conclusion. And then Victor P. Hamilton says, there is one major problem with this rendering, if we're to take it as divination. Divination is a device by which one gains knowledge about the future not about the past. And here he's describing something that's happened in the past. And really, do you need divination to determine something from the past? You know, you just look around and you go, wow, I have a lot more sheep because of that guy. <laughs> you know, doesn't take a demon or a Ouija board to tell you that. All right, moving on from there. Robert Jameson says, regarding Laban's statement and that God has blessed Jacob and God has blessed Laban as a result of his association with him, Robert Jameson says, this was a remarkable testimony that good men are blessings to the places where they reside. Mm -hmm. Men of the world are often blessed with temporal benefits on account of their pious relatives, though they have not always, like Laban, the wisdom to discern or the grace to acknowledge it. So people do benefit from your experience, your life with God, and sometimes they don't even realize it. Here we have in chapter 30, verse 28, Laban says to Jacob, then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. Wait a minute. Haven't we heard these mm -hmm. words on his lips before? How'd that turn out? Was he trustworthy? No, that didn't work out so well. I'm thinking Jacob, if he's going to go down this road, he's probably not going to fall for that again with Laban. Uh, here we have, it sounds like by Laban's uh, statement here, Laban is intending to keep Jacob on as a hired servant because he would still have that kind of authority or power over him. Sounds like Laban, that's what he's looking for. Chapter 30, verses 29 and 30. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, 
and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall I also provide for my own house? And we find Laban doesn't argue with this. Laban doesn't say, oh, I, I didn't have a little. Come on, I had a little more than that. He doesn't argue with it. You know? And so we can take it as perhaps that was pretty much the case, that Jacob has been a hard worker, that God has blessed his endeavors, that now Laban is a rich man because of his association with Jacob and Jacob doing such hard work. Uh, but I, I need to put something here as application tip number two that comes out of the end of verse 30 there, where Jacob says, when shall I also provide for my own house? Provide for my own house. Provide for my own family is what he's saying. Everything I've garnered is yours, Laban. I don't have anything for my own family. It's been 14 years. I've got kids that are growing up, and we haven't saved a dime for college. Just kind of what he's thinking about, right? So providing for your own family. Application tip number two, we need to provide for our family. So Jacob is right in being concerned about providing for his own family. We need to provide for our own family. Some verses to give you along these lines. I've got here 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, but if anyone provides not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or worse than an unbeliever. Ooh. <laughs> and then you also have 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. It says, the children should not lay up for their parents, but the parents for their children. What does that mean? It means children shouldn't have to take care of the financial obligations of their parents. The parents should be setting aside something for the children. So we need to provide for our own family. Um, and giving an inheritance would fall into the category of that one there at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. We should be making choices that are wise enough that don't saddle our children with having to be enslaved because of bad choices we made. We should be making choices that provide for our children so that then when they hit hard times, they have some means to be able to get through some of that stuff. Moving on, verse 31. So he said, this is Laban now speaking. So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. He's listening right now. <laughs> the greedy little man that he is. <laughs> Sorry, maybe I'm assuming a little too much. <laughs> maybe he's changed a little bit. Maybe not. Uh, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Jacob is offering to do the same service he's been providing all along. Laban's been benefiting from that. And now Jacob, out of his mouth, is saying, don't give me anything. I mean, he could demand, he could demand provisions right now. In fact, when a servant was satisfied of their debt, and they said to their master, I'm ready to leave. I've satisfied my debt. I'm ready to leave. It was incumbent upon the master to provide provisions for them. He could insist, we're at that point. Provide me provisions, and I'll, I'll be on my way. But he doesn't. So he sets up the stage where I'm thinking Laban's probably going to be listening pretty well right now. Uh, but I've got application tip number three right here. Leave room for God and your plans. All right? So he's definitely got a plan. We're about to hear what his plan is. But uh, leave room for God and your plans. Because sometimes we come up with great plans, you know, our five-year plan, our 10-year plan, our retirement plan. But really, if we don't factor God into the equation, it's probably going to be awkward as, as time goes by. Provide for God to be able to do some great work in your life. Don't plan in such a way that it takes a miracle and he has to force you to change your plans. Verse 32. Now, this is, this is Jacob speaking. This is his plan. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep. By the way, the word there for sheep can actually be translated as sheep and goats or sheep or goats. It includes sheep or goats, either of those animals. And all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. What is he saying? Basically, here's what he's saying. Back then, it was, it was traditional in that time that goats were predominantly black and sheep were predominantly white. 
But every once in a while, you'd get some mixture, or you'd get some streaks or spots or speckles or whatever. But those would be a, a much smaller collection, a much smaller group. All right. So it sounds like what Jacob is proposing is, let's go through the flocks. I'm going to go through the flocks. I'll separate all the ones that are solid colors, and we're going to take those out. Those are yours. And from this point forward, the solid colors are yours. What I'm asking for is the smaller group, the smaller group that's born that are not solid colors. So it's the ones that have spots. It's the ones that have stripes or streaks or patches. They're not a solid color. And Laban recognizes that doesn't happen very often. Laban recognizes, wow, he's not asking for much. Basically, back then, it was usually an arrangement where somebody serving in the capacity like Jacob serving could demand to 20% of everything that was born irrespective of color. So they could say, hey, one out of five is mine. And they would also have a claim on the wool and the milk product, all right? Um, Jacob's asking for less than that, all right? Because the numbers of the sheep that are going to come out that have to do with coloring like this, he's asking for a, a, a small portion, okay? And you'll, you'll hear it in Laban when he gives his response when we get there. Uh, but verse 33, Jacob goes on and continues by saying, So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. So basically from this point forward, anything that's produced in the flock that's solid color is all yours. And I'm just looking from this point forward, anything that comes from the flock that's streaked or speckled or spotted, those will be mine. All right? Victor P. Hamilton says regarding this, if Laban had only known Jacob's earlier capabilities for dishonesty, perhaps he would not have been so quick to accept Jacob's integrity. Because in that verse there, Jacob's saying, hey, I'm an integrous guy. You can trust me on this. You know, uh, But we will admit, Jacob has met God on the way there. And maybe his life was changed. I would propose to you that it probably has. Kenneth Matthew also says regarding this, with what Jacob knows of his own past, we conjecture that with tongue-in-cheek, Jacob swears on his honor that he will treat Laban fairly. So here we've got two shysters that are going at it, one at another. Verse 34, and Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. Does he sound eager? Does he sound enthusiastic? Oh, yeah. This is a much different reply than he originally gave when Jacob asked for the hand of Rachel. Remember that? That one, like we said earlier, was basically, well, all right, you know, I guess it's better to give them to you than somebody else. Here he's like, you bet. Show me where to sign up. So Laban is very enthusiastic. He's getting a good deal, and he knows it. He knows he's getting a good deal. Verse 35, so he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. It's not clear in verse 35 who the he is. You have to look at the context, which is verse 34. It's Laban. Jacob said, my plan is I will go through, I'll separate them out, and we'll be able to figure out from this point forward which ones are which. And Laban goes through and separates them. He's not taking any chances. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what you're seeing happening is Laban is removing all the spotted, speckled, striped, patchy colored animals. Laban's removing them from the herd completely so they can't even reproduce. Oh, that's kind of tricky. And not only is he removing them, he's not putting them on the other side of the yard. Where does he take them? He gives them to his sons, and they go how far away? Three-day oh, journey. Three-day journey, verse 36. So then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob. 
And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban's gone through, taking out all the ones that are most likely to produce the speckled, spotted, striped, patchy animals. And they're three days away. You're talking about 60 miles, perhaps. That's a long way away. So uh, Laban's trying to remove any opportunity for Jacob to get rich on this scheme. All right. So now Jacob, all he has to work with are the solid colored animals to start with. That's all he has. <laughs> so you can see his chances have actually diminished if you were to evaluate it just on what we see on the surface here, if you were to remove God from the equation, if you will. All right. Verse 37, now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar, that's a tree, a kind of tree, and of the almond tree and the chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rod. So you have some trees and you take the bark and if you split the bark, you can actually peel the bark in strips right off. And so he's making all these candy cane looking sticks, all right, is what we've got so far. By the way, in that verse, you have the word white shows up a couple times. White is actually the same word as Laban's name. Laban means white. So it's kind of a play on Laban's name as we're reading through this. Verse 38, and the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, that's in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. And you're like, what? Verse 39, so the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Am I reading that right? Do you see that? <laughs> I don't understand. How is this working? Verse 40, then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. Verse 41, and it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. Let me explain what's going on. You got these sticks and you peel the bark off the sticks and you got candy cane looking things. You got the white stripes and you put them in the watering troughs. And when the animals come to drink, they end up mating. And while they're mating, they're looking at the sticks floating in the water and they end up producing the offspring that Jacob is hoping for? That's what we're reading. That's weird. Moving on from there, verse 42, But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler ones were Laban's, and the stronger ones were Jacob's. What we have going on is something that we would look at nowadays and go, that's ridiculous. That doesn't work. That's not how things work. And we would say, Jacob, what are you doing? Now, I'm sure back in Jacob's day, this was probably considered state-of-the-art scientific progress. In Jacob's day, this was probably considered, this is the way you do it. Think of it this way. Jacob needs streaked, speckled, spotted, striped animals, not the solid ones. So he comes up with a plan, like, how am I going to get that? And he implements this plan, and he gets the results he's looking for, as if he's not surprised. As if that's the way he expected it to turn out. It's almost like if you were to interview him and go, hey, what's the cutting edge science of the day when it comes to animal husbandry? And, and he would give you this story and they would say, oh, that's very interesting. But nowadays we look at it and we go, that's ridiculous. That's not how it works. Here's one thing. Application tip number four is this. Science doesn't have it all figured out. What do I mean by that? If you were to ask Jacob, hey, what are you doing? And you were to get an interview with him, and you would end up coming at that day to some conclusion that, wow, this is cutting edge. This is science, right? Science doesn't have it all figured out. We look at it, we go, that's ridiculous. That's not how it works. We know at least that much, that this is not how it works. Now, there are some, I've read some commentaries, and they say, well, it could have worked. 
Or maybe there was something in the sticks that got in the water that got into the lambs that caused the coloration. Maybe. But ultimately, they end up saying, we don't know how this would have worked if it would have. And we've never seen it replicated again. And we can't take this into the lab and, and make it happen. Uh, science would say, this is ridiculous. This is not how it works. Uh, here's what I want to say, though. Back in Jacob's day, he's trusting in the science of the day, right? He's trusting in the, in the way he understood his world. He's trusting in the way that things worked back then, or at least the way they mm -hmm. thought things worked back then. But a lot of times, the way you think things work, the way that you think that science is, is supporting your position, you find out with the passage of time that mm, things change. I remember when I was a kid, remember the brontosaurus? It, it, when I was going through grade school, there was a brontosaurus as a dinosaur. And it was a big guy with a big tail with a long neck and the, and the head and the end of the neck. And, and everybody called him a brontosaurus when I was a kid. Nowadays, there's no brontosaurus. They're like, oh, that was a mistake. We're going to erase the brontosaurus from, from our science textbooks because we made a mistake. There was a day when uh, the earth was considered flat. But it turns out the earth's not flat. But now there's a resurgence, I understand, where people are like, hey, we really do think modern times that the earth is flat. Come on. But science has shown as it's progressed, oh, you know what? All of the scientists back then that thought the earth was flat, they've all been wrong. Change our textbooks because science was wrong and science is still trying to catch up, right? How about another one? Um, I don't know, theory of evolution. As the explanation of how man got here and what our purpose is, all right? That there is no purpose. It was all random chance. And that how we got here was this evolution of apes that came from primordial soup. Um, I'm convinced there's going to be a day when finally people are going to look back on this day and go, wow, that's what they used to believe. That's as crazy as believing the earth was flat. So if we look at Jacob's situation, we go, the sticks, that's ridiculous. But back then, I, I would have been considered acceptable to the science of the day. Good question. In the next chapter, there's actually a little glimpse that we'll get where Jacob ends up saying that he had a dream, and in the dream, he recognized God was the one behind the blessings. You remember last week we talked about the mandrakes. Remember the ladies, wanted the, they were fighting over the mandrakes, the flowers, and they thought the flowers were going to be able to, be able to make Rachel become pregnant. And they were trusting in the flowers, and then as years passed by, Rachel's flowers are dead and gone, and the flowers didn't work, right? The science of the day, the idea of the day was that the flowers would work. They didn't work. What worked? God. God was the one who did it. God deserves the credit and the praise. God's the one that did this. He deserves the credit and the praise. God's the one that will often do things in our lives, and we think we've got some other formula figured out. Let's say, for example, I go buy a lottery ticket, and let's say I win it all, whatever it is. I don't know how much it is. I don't buy lottery tickets. But let's say I buy a lottery ticket, and I win it all, and somebody comes and interviews me, and they say, how did you choose your numbers? Well, let's say I actually had some, some rhyme or reason to my choosing my numbers. Let's say I picked, I don't know, the numbers that were significant in the births of my children, all right? And let's say that's what it was. And in addition to that, I prayed every Monday night, God helped me to win the lottery. And let's say every Tuesday night, I did something different and every Wednesday, and I had this, like, ritual. And when I win the lottery, let's say I actually thought that my ritual gave rise to me winning the lottery, would that have explained why I win the lottery? Would other people be able to follow my formula and win the lottery? No, because that's not what does it. God's the one that makes the ultimate decision whether or not to bless you or not to bless you. And in this case, Jacob has his little formula. And is that the reason why he's got great flocks? No, it's because God chooses to bless whom he chooses. All right. So God is the ultimate reason why Rachel got pregnant. God is the ultimate reason why Leah got pregnant. God's the reason that Sarah, Abraham's wife, way back in the day, got pregnant. Mm -hmm. You remember Isaac's wife, Rebecca. How did she get pregnant? She was barren. God. How did Jacob increase in his wealth? God. God's the one that deserves our credit. God's the one that deserves our praise. Application tip number five, 
Application tip number five says this. Work hard, but give God the glory. Jacob had his great plan. He worked hard. But ultimately, we'll see in the next chapter when we get there next week. Give God the glory. He gives God the glory. Do we have it all figured out? We don't. We go through our lives mumbling around a little bit. And sometimes some things work and sometimes some things don't. And we think we've got a formula for what works and what doesn't. And sometimes God just desires to bless us, despite what we think actually was the reason for it. Ultimately, it's God. When we're blessed, we should give God credit and glory for giving us blessing. All right, so basically, that was a lot of verses in a very short amount of time. I've just got five little quickies up there as quick pointers, but there's other ones as well. Uh, Let's go ahead and close in prayer, giving God the glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for meeting us again here today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that we don't have to engage in occultic practices to find out what you would have of us and how you would have us to live and how to yield ourselves to you and how to be useful in your purposes and your grand plan. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to sacrifice animals or look at the entrails and what color the liver is and Ouija boards and, and tarot cards are getting our fortune told. Lord, we thank you that you're in charge. We thank you that this world is not controlled by the devil or, or his minions, Lord, without your permission in very limited respects, Lord. But ultimately, you are overall and you are in charge of everything. We pray, God, that you would help us also to take home whatever point that you're driving home for us especially. Maybe it's the one about providing for our family. Maybe it's the one about working hard but giving you the glory. Maybe it's one of the other ones, Lord. We just pray that you would help us to take home with us whatever challenge that you had for us today. We thank you that we get to be among friends having this study in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys have a wonderful week.